So welcome to On The Continent, your one-stop shop for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. How hard can it be to keep hold of the best player of the world, arguably, when he doesn't want to leave and is even prepared to take a 50% cut in his salary, or so we're told. We're rounding up the messiest hasta la vista in football. Also, with the La Liga financial shake-up and its consequences, are Atletico Madrid in pole position to retain their title in the Spanish footy Grand Prix? And where are the real title races this season? Are they in Portugal, Turkey, Netherlands, or can the Bundesliga surprise us? So, what a week it's been. I I think it's fair to say it's been a very, very, very messy week. Not least for Barcelona, Andy. No, that's right. And how much everything can change in a week is is, is remarkable. Um, we were sitting here last week not expecting anything of the drama to come. Shh, don't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> you recorded before the... Oh, no. Yeah. It's terrible when that happens. And um, I, I think it was possibly more of a shock to Leo Messi than it, than it was to us because he had believed quite sincerely that he was going to... Uh, stay at Barcelona um, I think I mean I remember my son going to me when he saw all the um, footage from Paris and, and the pictures he looks really happy doesn't he dad <laughs> and I was like he's, yes he's, he does he's no longer crying about having to join PSG I mean, <laughs> tremendous progress has been made in the last couple of days well I think you can cry about leaving Barcelona and still be pleased about joining PSG because as the point you've made last when we've been talking about it off air is that he was more than ready to do this last summer yeah no that that's an interesting point I mean one of the more there are many baffling facets of this situation and I'm sure we'll get to all of them uh, one of the things that just baffles me is just the sort of all round levels of administrative incompetence because we're, we're only a year down the line from the, the famous Bureaufax incidents when he tried to leave the club and he thought he was going to leave the club. But it turned out uh, his representatives had misunderstood their own contract, uh, which is pretty spectacular, I think, at this level. I mean, his people, like, they, they really only have one job. Like, they, they understand what their contract says. <laughs> Don't get in any more tax trouble. <laughs> well, okay, so they have two jobs. Um, and... And this summer, I find it slightly baffling because as I'm sure if you're listening to this by now, you'll be aware that Barcelona were in a situation where even if he took a huge wage cut, they wouldn't have been able to re-register him. Uh, because what happened this summer, because they, they sort of pushed the, the can down the road with the contract renewal, was that he officially became no longer a Barcelona player. He, he was unemployed. And uh, so so when he, to sign a new contract, he would have to be re-registered, uh, technically registered as a new player, which because of their financial problems, uh, the La Liga regulations would not allow. Now, if they just signed a new deal in the summer with a 50% wage reduction, he it would have been possible for him to stay on, unless I'm getting this spectacularly wrong. And I, I, I don't think I am. How is it possible that he, his people were not aware of this? How is it possible that the Barcelona administration were not aware that this could be an issue? And I, I, I'm always assuming that these sort of men in expensive suits um, know a lot about this. I mean, there must be a reason why they have these jobs and, and, and we're sort of knocking, you know, scrambling for, for acorns in, in the mud or whatever it is we're doing. <laughs> How is it possible that they don't know this and, and don't understand this? It seems really strange to me. I mean, 
Joan Laporta, the returned Barcelona president, <clears throat> seems to have got off quite a lot so far from basically saying, well, the financial hole is deeper than what we thought when we took over five months ago. And um, we're not prepared to divulge all the figures. But the fact is we were spending 110% of um, our revenue on wages. And even without Messi, it's 95. We need to get it down to 70. The, the fact that he's only just coming to terms with it now when everyone knew that Barcelona were in a dreadful state when he took over, not just people within the industry, people who watch football Mm -hmm. were aware of that. To me, I I agree with Lars. It seems like an awful lot of bad planning. And the fact is that they could have done more to set up transfers out of the players that they needed to get off the wage bill. And I I think you're looking at um, clearly Pjanic being one of them and it was interesting seeing at the friendly against Juventus last weekend the post the first post Messi moment I suppose on the pitch where they played played the trophy uh, Juan Gamper the traditional curtain raiser against a good Juventus side beat them 3-0 but you had Umtiti and Pjanic being booed instead of the president instead of any <laughs> board members. So it's Pjanic's fault that he's been given this contract so that it's Umtiti's fault that he's been injured and Mtiti just left before the trophy was even presented. I think that's kind yeah. of outrageous, to be honest, to take the focus away from the club and from the president who's had to make some hard decisions but has made none of them yet. And we talked a while back, didn't we, last, about the um, potential swap between Griezmann and Saul that mm. Barcelona, as we said at the time, needed a lot more mm. than Atletico. And Atletico were able to say, we know what, if you're going to try and rinse us for a big fee as well as Saul, if you're going to try and not subsidise his wages, well, we'll leave it. We're not interested. They have not been prepared to take those hard decisions. I, I I do agree with all that, but I think I can I can have some sympathy in the problem of of getting rid of players this summer who are on big contracts because that's just mm. really hard. It there is. just isn't a market out there for for very many of these players. So you've got to find a way to make it attractive. I mean, this yeah, this, this I, hasn't been happening overnight, has it? I get all that, but it's just very basic. Like when Laporta came in. And he famously looked at the books and went, oh, no, this this is very bad. Like he did one of his first press conferences, he says, you know, finances are worse than I could possibly have imagined. Mm. And it turned out that was not an exaggeration. That was very true. Surely at that point, he should know the what the La Liga financial fair play rules are. Either him or one of the sort of army of men in suit who work for these clubs should have gone, actually, Juan, if we let Messi's contract run out, we might not be able to re-register him. So we need to go to Messi's people and say, if you want to stay, we need to get this done now before your deal expires, because that could be a huge admin problem for us down the line. Surely somebody's very well-paid people should have realized this. I agree. And from from their side, I think not only does it seem an enormous dereliction of duty, but for Barcelona on the pitch, it seems an enormous waste in that Ronald Koeman, for all the people who think he's an underwhelming choice as Barcelona coach, they've wasted the fact that Koeman had convinced Messi that it was a project worth sticking with (laughs) by basing it around De Jong and Pedri, you know, a player who, as we said a couple of weeks ago, described in Mundo Deportivo, so good that Messi will pass to him. (laughs) And and Messi, having said a year ago now, that, uh, you know, I don't feel there's a project here. Mm. His mind had been changed. I think we're right to bring in the fact that this is, a, at the very least, a three-actor, if not a five-actor, <laughs> uh, because it started 
way before last summer. Mm, yeah. We knew yeah, yeah. that his contract was running down and that there might be question marks, marks over whether he stays or not. The real question moving forward now for Barcelona surely must be, is this the end of the Barcelona that we have known with Messi, this sort of magical club? I don't think that, that's the question, Dotton. I, I, I think the question is, how deep is the hole? I think that mm. is the question because you're looking at them going into their first La Liga game of the season at the weekend against Real Sociedad. Um, they're going to have to basically shift some players off the wage bill before the weekend if they're going to register Memphis and Eric Garcia. Never mind uh, Sergio Aguero, who's obviously injured for the next 10 weeks. The fact is Memphis has been playing brilliantly in pre-season. Now, no one's saying he's another Messi or anything like that. Well, no one apart from me is saying he's another Messi. But uh, the, the fact maybe that they're still... Maybe he would. <laughs> yeah, maybe he would. Uh, but I think they're already in that position where like they're going to they're not going to have the worst team ever to take the field for a La Liga game or anything like that it will still have uh, Griezmann it will still probably have Pedri even though he's been back from the Olympics for 10 minutes but the fact is they can't even introduce the team that they want on the pitch yet there are still so many hard decisions ahead of them so it's it's not what does it look without like without Messi it's like what will it look like without Messi I think in one month, two months, six months' time. But, but you, you look at Sergio Aguero. Sorry, apologies, mm, mm, large. Mm, mm. I'll throw it to you. You look at Sergio Aguero. He's been sold a pup because he he <laughs> yes. came, well he came to and Barcelona. So, so of Barcelona. Yeah. Well, yes, arguably, <laughs> but they're the ones who sold Sergio Aguero this pup yeah. because he went to Barcelona thinking he'd be rejoining yeah, his old mate. That, that does seem to be in the story that he signed for greatly reduced uh, wages. Then perhaps he could have gotten elsewhere because he wanted to play with Messi at Barcelona. <laughs> now he's not there, so that's unfortunate. Um, I want to go back to your original question. Uh, because I think it's really interesting, uh, because I also don't fully agree with the premise, but I think the premise is interesting. You said, is this the end for Barcelona as this sort of magical club? And I think, I feel like what you're referring to is the the Barcelona that we remember of almost 10 years ago. You know, the, the Pep Guardiola Barcelona who played amazing football, who had academy products all over the field. You know, 2009, the season where they beat Manchester United at Wembley in the final Um with you know Iniesta and Xavi and, and Pedro and, and all the lads, I still I still think in our mind's eye for a lot of people they still think of Barcelona as being that club, but but the point I want to make is that they haven't been for some time. Great, and, and maybe Messi leaving is the wake. For, for there's been a long time since they became much more closer to the sort of derided Galactico era Real Madrid. If you go through their squad, it's full of like way expensive flops that they've spent way too much money on uh, that have failed to gel to, to be a coherent team. They don't, you know, there are fewer academy products than they were. The, the, the Footballing-wise on the field is much less coherent. Uh, they have been a mess for a while. They've been they become what they took the mickey out of Real Madrid. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and this certainly hammers at home, Messi leaving, uh, and, and there's a case to be made that maybe Messi was pay- papering over some cracks. Uh, this is a team that's been quite dysfunctional for a while, uh, but they still had Messi in it, so they would find a way of winning titles all the same. But at some point, we have to take this onto the PSG side of it because, you know, we're not completely Do dead inside. Though? When it comes to romance, we're not completely dead inside, Lars. But <laughs> I, I, I think when you talk about that switch of Barcelona becoming this club that spends extraordinary amounts of players that does actually go back to Messi that goes back to 2013 when they realised they can't rely on him anymore they need legs around him 
and they buy Neymar and then they buy Luis Suarez and they decide that is the way they're going to protect Messi. That's the way they're going to elongate his career. But it's a slippery slope from there, really. And so you're right, Barcelona have changed so much from there. So when we talk about, or when people talk about the the, the lack of romance of him going to Paris Saint-Germain, the, the Barcelona that he was at was not romantic anymore. Mm. Him getting paid an absolute fortune in this dysfunctional team, which, you know, let's be clear, since that 2011 peak, had won the Champions League once. But the aura counts a lot for... Um, in football, Agreed. and so does history. Yeah, so does history. You know, every time the Real Madrid could step onto a Champions League pitch, we're reminded of the glorious history of Real Madrid, this club, and that history is really harking back to the '60s more than anything else. Mm. But I'm saying that I'm wondering whether moving it forward to PSG, I'm wondering whether the aura has now gone in Barcelona, and it's an aura that PSG are starting to build up because they arguably could be the team that dominates the Champions League, certainly this season, if not in the future. I think it's... Yeah, I have a multitude of bones to pick with that premise again. Uh, (laughs) Take them one at a time. Because I I do think a huge part of, again, if you talk about an aura, a huge part of it comes from being rooted in something more than just 11 players on the pitch. So that great Barcelona team, people who were not Barcelona fans, and maybe didn't even have an interest in La Liga, fell for that team, not just because they played good football or were successful, because there was the whole link to the academy, there was an ideological link to the past, in the sense that it was a sort of modern version of the sort of Cruyffian football of the Mm. past there. There was a whole culture around it, and and, and it it stood for something beyond just 11 players who won a lot. Um, If we zoom forward to PSG, I mean, PSG are a club that doesn't stand for anything. Uh, but at the moment, but I, I don't even think it's that they, they did once. I, th- I think if you go back to the nineties and you hear people from Paris and beyond Paris talking about why the Parc de Prince is quite a magical place, it's because of those European nights with um, Comboare and Wea and Ginola and Le Guin. It's something else now. It's closer to entertainment than elite sport, and that is what this signing's about. Because when we sit and talk about this last, and you know, there's been so much. Um, of, I guess it's entertainment. Like, Their favourites to win the Champions League, surely. But that's season. that's that's the thing. I, I don't know if they are. If, yeah. if, 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 if you, three gritted teeth. If, if you if you look at it, the, the fact is the idea. Like, have we learned nothing from the last couple of years? Cristiano Ronaldo was meant to be the one who pushed Juventus over the top, mm. and we think that Messi at thirty four, who does nothing when they lose the ball. Is going to be the player to push them over. Yeah, the top. There's a kind of cosmic. Uh, I mean, never let it be said that the gods of football don't have a sense of humor. So, <laughs> M- Maurizio Pochettino, his stock and trade as a coach, the thing that made him, you know, a big name, was coming to England and introducing a kind of slightly, um, I mean, watered down is the wrong word, but slightly rationalized version of Bielsa's principles uh, of of introducing without going full Bielsa, but introducing the high press. So you're saying. He's he's Tony Blair to 
um, I'm Bielsa's Neil Kinnock. I'm definitely not calling Mauricio Pochettino Tony Blair. Uh, <laughs> Neil Kinnock, yeah. Uh, I have to explain then, who yeah, that is, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but so, I remember this so well because they inexplicably signed a Norwegian player uh, at the time, Southampton. So I was sent to Southampton quite a lot to watch their games. And I saw how Pochettino came in and just very quickly turned them into this sort of lean, mean pressing machine where, mm. you know, everyone was running and this sort of thing. And then we saw him go to Tottenham and, and do largely the same. You know, initially he was brought in to try to get a tune out of like this is Adebayor and some of these dudes. But after a while, he just went, you know, whatever. I'm going to throw in Ryan Mason and, and Harry Kane and Emil Bentaleb and these young guys because at least they're going to run a lot. And his whole Tottenham mm. side was built on just relentless pressing and, and, and hard running and, and out fighting the opponents. But he could never quite get them over the line because they lacked a bit of star power. And certainly was the way we looked at it. Well, now he's in charge of a team that has really more star powers. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a forward line like this, mm. but none of them do any work off the ball. Like the, the central ingredient to, to his football, the thing that has brought, you know, Maurizio Pochettino to the top as a manager is the, is the work off the ball. And he's now going to have to try to win the Champions League with a non-pressing front three. Yeah, it's really strange. And one of his first things, of course, was making Marco Verratti into a number 10. Yeah. I think, we can be pretty clear that he's not going to have to reprise that role this season. But that's that's a big part of, of, of what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, because, again, I hate to be that guy. I really do. But if you look at the teams who have really dominated in, in the last sort of decade of modern football and really set the tone of, of the top-level club football, it's been all about the high press. It's all about winning the ball high up the field. And... You, that isn't possible. You can't do that with the front line of, of Mbappe, Neymar and Messi. Uh, you, you have to play differently because they're just not going to do the work. Now, it's possible that you'll be so good with the ball that you'll win anyway. But I think it's a really interesting experiment to see because this is going in a completely different direction. I mean, other teams, if you have one of those guys, you're thinking, ooh, okay, how he's very good, but I'm going to have to find a way of carrying him by having people around him run a lot. If you have two guys like that, you again, it becomes a bit of a treat. They have three now. They have no one's going to do any pressing off the ball. It's, it's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, talking of the gods of football, um, you can tweet us at any time. At <laughs> and well, <laughs> what you carry on? <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. You can tweet us at any time at Andy Brassel, at Dotson Adibayo, and at Lars Severson, or at Football Ramble. Um, so, gods of football have humour. Matt, Matt Bass has tweeted us and said, what has been the reaction to the Messi signing from the other league and clubs? Are they happy about the extra profile or annoyed at the talent stroke money gap that now exists between them and PSG? Well, Matt, that, that, that gap already existed with um, not just with Donnarumma and Hakimi and Ramos and all those players that were signed this summer, but over the last near decade, really. So we've been talking about the problem in terms of TV rights that France have had in the, the last couple of weeks. So we, we spoke about it on the, the Football Ramble earlier, but to summarise... Um, after the collapse of the Media Pro deal, Amazon swooped in to buy 80% of the TV rights. Um, it's caused a lot of consternation that they're paying less for those 80% than um, being sports sub-licensing to Canal Plus are paying for the remaining 20%. And Canal Plus said, we are not going to have anything to do with French football anymore. However, when that 20% owns a lot of the first picks and they can show... PSG and Messi 27 times live in the rest of this season. 
I think they're going to end up paying it. So it's going to save a lot of these clubs and maybe they can even make some money out of the international rights. Messi, 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 por Messi, 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 por Messi, por amor, Messi, por amor, 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 Okay, we've talked a lot about French football, it seems. A little bit about Spanish football, but I I feel that we haven't really discussed what else is happening in La Liga. Uh, Josh Boyle here sends us a tweet saying, would Danny Alves returning to Sevilla be the best transfer of the summer? I appreciate that, Josh, because, you know, we've been talking about a lack of romance in the game. Well, that would be bringing it back, wouldn't it? That, that, that would be that would be beautiful. But the point of the tweet, I suppose, is that there are other things going on yeah. in La Liga apart from what you know the mess in Barcelona. Yeah, and if we're going to talk about the title race, I suppose. I mean, I do feel that it's kind of Atletico's to to, to lose. That's where we are at the moment. But I feel having already talked about Barcelona is good because I strongly feel they're not going to be in this in this title race. But you do wonder, Lars, if it's an opportunity. Well, we'll start with Atletico and Mm. and Real Madrid, who are Mm. the two big contenders. I mean, there's definitely, we'll come to in a minute, I think the possibility of some of those other clubs like Sevilla, maybe Betis, Villarreal... Even even a Celta having, yeah, a, sort of having a chance to go, to go towards the top four. I mean, the, but it's going to be about those top two, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the, the, the Lucas Ocampos, Eric Lamela axes of evil at Sevilla. I mean, if, you, if you're not excited <laughs> about that, then you're just not enjoying life. Um, no, no, you're right. I think you have to look at Atleti as favourites. I mean, the reigning champions uh, coming into a new season with with Barcelona in complete disarray and and Real Madrid with with a number of flaws. I think I think looking at the squad and they've added uh, Rodrigo de Paul from Udinese who's one of those players who you know, I saw someone I know who's a, who's a football scout just tweet randomly at a weekend surely Rodrigo de Paul isn't going to waste his entire life playing for Udinese because he's one of those who's just been there for and <laughs> he's clearly looked like someone who's been playing for a top club for quite a while mm. and the move just never came and now he's moved to, to Atleti which I think is a logical place for him to go and he adds something that they don't have in midfield a, li- a little bit of flair a little bit of invention but still someone who's not afraid to put the work in I think I think that, mm. that could be a really good signing for them and they just seem a little bit more settled now there are issues um, you're, you're still relying an awful lot on uh, Luis Suarez up front, who's not who's not young. Uh, so I do wonder if maybe in the striking department that they could possibly add something. But but no, you have to say uh, they're they're a very good shout for the title. I um, flummoxed you, Andy. I sort of uh, exploded your mind uh, pre-show by saying that actually Atleti are not the bookies' favourite to win the title. You Real did Ma- explode my brain. Real Madrid are the favourites with the bookmakers. That is surprising to me because it feels as if they're a little bit half finished at the at the moment. Um, whether they're really going to get investment to to go anywhere from there, it, it seems unlikely as things stand at the moment. It looks like they won't be starting, well, they won't be in the Bernabeu for a while yet because it's, it's it's kind of half finished. There are a lot of things for Carlo Ancelotti to do. He's got to um, go at it with a new central defence. Although on paper, Militao and Alaba look very, very good indeed. But they're going to be pushing on those same old guys. You don't feel as if the squad is fantastic. I think in terms of strength in depth, Atletico are definitely in a better place going into but, but this you, season. But you said the title was there to, theirs to lose. So if there is a possibility that they can lose it, Real Madrid would be the favourites. Well, they were very good at chipping out results without playing particularly well mm. last season. And I guess 
you know, they, if, if we're talking about comprehensive redevelopment of a squad, Carlo Ancelotti is not the coach you get in. So mm. clearly, mm. they're hoping to run it back with the old guys yet again, and they're hoping to get a bit more, not not just out of Benzema and Kroos but, and Casemiro, but Azar as well. They need to get something from him this season. I, I still think, as Lars said, the centre-forward position is vital for Atletico. If they can get an eventual Diego Costa replacement, I think it's interesting. They seem to be very close on getting Rafa Mir, who was really good for Oesca mm. on loan last season from Wolves. He's got a year left at Wolves. He's not going to sign again. It's never worked out for him there. Um, someone who we know can lead the line, who's a very different type of striker to what they have already. If they're spending, what, 15 million euros on them, on him... I, I, Obviously, they'd still like Griezmann. But in a year like this, Rafa Mir is a signing that could still make a massive difference to what they do. A player who's got a margin to get better. And a, a bit like Rodrigo de Pal is something different that they don't have already. And and let's not forget, there is a certain Juan Feliz there who yeah. you feel will explode at some point. And I, and I mean that metaphorically, not not literally. That would be unfortunate. Uh, but but I think I think he's someone who someone who you, you know the talent is there, and and I think as time goes on and it doesn't quite happen for Matt Atleti, there are going to be people who raise the question. And I guess I'm one of those people right now of whether it's the right environment for him. Mm. Uh, but, but the talent in is undoubtedly there. He, he's one of those strange. If you look at what he's done so far and what he costs, that looks like a foolish transfer. But you can also see clearly the player he could be as well. Absolutely, and I, I mean he's not going to start the season because he's had an ankle operation at the beginning of July but if you think of him hitting maybe the second match day of the the, the Champions League fresh I mean that could be something really big for Atletico as I've said before I think they've also missed a trick in the way that they've used him because when Bruno Lage who of course has taken over at Wolves um, had him at Benfica they used him as a quite pure number nine on occasions as well. Mm. He's terrific in the air. He can score those sort of goals with the sort of ability to get in crosses that Atletico have. I think they could make a little bit more of that. So maybe that's something to work on. Clearly he has to do some work. I think after he came back from COVID, he wasn't able to give the same physical effort that he did in the first half of the season, in which he was excellent, by the way, in the first half of, of last season. So this is an opportunity for him to go at it again and reset. But I think this is very diff- different. So when you look back, the last time that Atletico won the league in 2014, the landscape is completely different. They're struggling to hold on to a lot of those players. Diego Costa goes, Felipe Luiz goes, um, Courtois finishes his line. All that stuff happens. This time, they feel really stable. Like, mm. Oblak's not going anywhere. Jimenez isn't going anywhere. Um, all right, Carrasco had a bit of a set to on the pitch with Simeone in that friendly against Feyenoord. But, you know, you need to keep the home fires burning a, a little bit. <laughs> it does feel as if they're in a, a much better place to build because they're far ahead in their rebuild of where Barcelona and Real Madrid are. And going back to Real Madrid a little bit, I know when we talk about these players who are on on big wages, I'm kind of a bank account half empty kind of guy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and, and I, you do look at you know paying. I mean, there there have been some COVID reductions in wages and stuff. But I mean, on the reported salaries, Real Madrid are paying sort of close to a million a week for Hazard and Bale, and that's not where you want to be. Uh, but just looking at the squad that. There's a lot of potential upside with this Real Madrid team, and I guess that's where the the bookies are coming from. Also, the fact that there's a lot of experience there. Um, if you can get something of a full season, I mean, 
If you can't get something of a full season out of the Crows and Modric double act, you do have Federico Valverde, who's already shown a lot. You do have Martin Odegaard, who has showed flashes of, of being very good, and he's, he's hoping this is the season where he finally gets some time. You know, Benzema, Hazard and Bale is a potentially exciting front three, and there mm. is a sort of creeping feeling that it was a very exciting front three six years ago, and maybe not so much this year, but it, it still could be good. Uh, you, you know, the, there is... There's potential upside here, but I am really looking forward to seeing how Carly Ancelotti sort of juggles all of this, because uh, you you have a real challenge there in that I don't think you can, again, I've said this on this pod before, I don't think you can rely on the old guard for, for, for a full one year. You're going to have to integrate some of the younger ones. When, that, when they fall off, it'll be ugly. I, I don't think there's any way of avoiding that. I mean, it's interesting, I think, to see the depth in the league. Sevilla, I think they'll be stronger at the end of the transfer window than they are now. They're still hoping to sell Jules Koundé and reinvest some of the profits in some targets that they've got lined up but I think the squad's excellent anyway they're very well coached by Lopetegui you look at Villarreal and the job that Unai Emery's doing there I thought they were great in the Super Cup final even though they lost and this was a team that missed the Champions League by absolutely miles mm. through the through the league route last season then you've got Betis back in Europe under Manuel Pellegrini um, Borja Alero's got himself into into decent nick um, they've they've got um, Nabil Fekir who if we, we can have a talking season, about the title race Andy well, no, we're, to, we're, to, well, we're talking. Four. We're talking about the top four, <laughs> yeah, and we're, to, we're talking about an ability, maybe, <laughs> sort of, to catch Real Madrid. Yeah, well, I, I just I zone out for a second, and I hear the sentence: Borja Valero has got himself in decent nick. I mean, Jesus Christ, we are really far end. <laughs> you're threatened by his beard game. Admit it. <laughs> I'm absolutely not. But it, it's a good point, though. It's a good point because we're talking about the top four, where the more perhaps exciting uh, parameters of this uh, La Liga season will be uh, seen and. I wonder, and you've given us both sides of this conundrum, I wonder whether it will be decided, um, you know, let's leave the title aside for a moment, if the top four will be decided by the the players, some of the players that you mentioned earlier on, stepping up their games, like João Felix, like Erden Hazard and so on, whether it's a question of the players stepping up or whether it's a question of what you've just brought into the mix uh, the managers, you know, whether we're talking about Betis or Villarreal or Valencia, who've got a new manager, for example. Yeah, they have. I mean, and, and Granada with a new manager. Will it be a case of the managers, the coaches, making the difference or the players? I think that's a great point. I think it often makes a difference. And I think if you look at the top end of the Premier League, that is what's helped English clubs pull away in Champions League terms in, in, in the last year or two. Um Jose Bordalas at Valencia is really interesting because they've been in a bad place, Valencia, for the last couple of years. We know there's relative demand and expectation from the fans. What they are not going to get is great football. I mean, he showed that at Getafe. It's effective football. It's not great football. That means everything. Everything hinges on the results. I'm interested to see Robert Moreno, of course, the former coach of, of, of Spain before his spectacular fallout with Luis Enrique. He's got some good ideas. I'd like to see what he's going to do at Granada, having taken over from Diego Martinez, who's done a great job. Of course, they've got in Carlos Backer up front as as well this season, so they should have a little bit more punch. I feel that there's... Then you add Real Sociedad into the mix. Felter, who had a good end to, to, to last season. I think there's some really interesting teams in there, and the battle for Europe could be absolutely fascinating. We're going to find out from this weekend. Caminero, Caminero, que puede marcar. Caminero, que va a cruzar. Gol del Atlético de Madrid. 
Gol del Atlético de Madrid. José Luis Pérez Caminero acaba de conseguir el cuarto gol del Atlético. Let's move on to the Bundesliga, uh, not least because I suppose all eyes will be on Bayern uh, winning the title, retaining the title. That's very likely. But also, let's talk about the top four there, the opportunities that there are. Dortmund have somehow managed to retain the services of Erlen Haaland. How how have they done that and what difference will it make? Is this... by, by turning down all offers. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I think this was always on the cards as soon as they qualified for the Champions League. Uh, I've, I've said it before on the pod. Uh, my impression is that the plan was always for him to stay there for one more year. Uh, the, his they have, I mean, when I say they, I mean his side of the equation, his agent, his father, him. They have a lot more leverage next summer in terms of where they want to go because there is a release clause, uh, because clubs will be in better financial health there. And he's happy at Dortmund. He, but he there's like, always a danger he, of one year more too far, as it were. Yeah, I mean, the danger for him is that maybe things don't work out as well with Dortmund this season. Maybe, maybe he has a, a, a downturn. Maybe his goal scoring rate drops a little bit. But but for now, he's he's very happy. Uh, he's he seems to be positive about about Marco Rose. He seems to be positive about playing with uh, with his new teammates. I think there's been tiny flashes so far of him and Daniel Malen having a bit of a connection there. And um, I, I think that could be fine. I I'm, I do I do think Dortmund could be interesting to watch this year. Mm. But but I'm slightly surprised. I mean the transfer window still open but German clubs tend not to do late business if they can avoid it at all I'm surprised they haven't done anything to, to strengthen their defence I think they've just they've just not got the money I, I think that is a huge risk I agree with you Lars going into this season with the defence that they've got not just in terms of making some shoot for the moon go at the title mm. but in terms of the top four depending how it clicks for the other teams now this season's quite uncertain in Germany because if you look towards the top eight last season seven of them have changed coach so that means there's a lot of bedding in mm. from a lot of teams now I agree Marco Rosa I think is a great fit for them and the front part of the team I have no worries about at all I think what's interesting from a from a Holland perspective this season he looks as if he'll be used slightly differently in that they've been going 4-4-2 quite a lot in their pre-season games. Now, I think this works quite well for them because you see, as you say, that link, potential link between Marlon and Holland. Mm -hmm. Yusufu Makoko could step into mm -hmm. that as well, coming back from injury, still just 16 years old. Um, and as well, this midfield diamond they've got, Marco Royce at the tip of the diamond looks proper. If they keep him fit, I think... You're in a position, and maybe maybe playing that position will help to keep him fit, I think, taking less mm -hmm. blows from big defenders. I, I think it could be something really important for them. And Hansi Flick, in his first press conferences as Germany coach, said, I'm, I'm loving what Royce is doing at the moment. He was, he was very big on it. So that's something that could work very well for Dortmund. The defence is an accident waiting to happen. It really is, isn't it? And th they, they need Zagadou to get fit. His fitness record doesn't, really say you can rely on that they're relying on Mats Hummels to to get fit again Emre Can's going to be dropping in there at some point um, I was about to, that, <laughs> I mean, that, that was about to say thing. from the looks of it now there's a, there's a decent chance their centre half pairing on the opening day of the season is Akanji and, and Emre Can yeah. which, which is not what you want it to be I don't think yeah, it's, it's, it's not ideal what I think is big for them is the fact that Axel Witzel by being rushed back to play the Euros has been kind of 
played into re- rehabilitation mm. and past mm. rehabilitation by Roberto Martinez. So I think Marco Rosa owes him a, a Christmas card and a decent bottle of wine at the, at the very least because Witzel being able to screen that defence will be really, really important. The link between him and Jude Bellingham, of course, and Bellingham's going to be even better in his first season mm-hmm. than, than, than he was in the first, will will be fantastic. But to, to me, Dortmund are clearly the, 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 the closest to Bayern as things stand because... So many things are up in the air about Leipzig. They're going undergoing some profound change at the moment. And I think if Dortmund are going to do anything in terms of at least making it an interesting title race, and that's not to say that others couldn't, but it's got to be now because Nagelsmann, as we said last week, not really had time to work with the players, not really had time to get to know the players yet. They're going to play slightly differently as well. With Hansi Flick, they knew exactly what was what. Was what. And they're betting in a new defence without Alaba, and without Jerome Boateng, who's much more influential than than people wanted to admit. And I think the Bayern squad is quite thin. I mean, their their first eleven is very strong, and they got a couple of good reserves. But they had to make some decisions last summer, and, and we heard a lot about how oh, Hansi Flick didn't agree with some of the transfers that Salihamidzic made and stuff like that. And you know, the press often brought up like Bunasar and Mark Rocca and these dudes. But but these were transfers they made because of COVID, because of the financial constraints. Yeah, I mean, Bayern would would like for their reserves to be better than Bunasar and Chupamoting and Mark Rocca. They would like that. And, yes. in, and in normal times, they would buy better players to be their backups. Mm-hmm. But we're not really in normal times financially. They had to make decisions. They had to, to have some, some cheaper bodies in there that they could use. And, and we're still kind of, you know, we're not many injuries away from that Bayern lineup having you know, a, a few slightly ropey names in there, I think. so. And I, and I, and I keep coming back with this with Nagelsmann. Obviously, an incredibly smart and, and talented coach, and no one's disputing that. But he's worked before at Hoffenheim and at Leipzig, right? Now, now obviously, there's pressure when when you're a man who's about 13 years old and you're in charge of a Bundesliga team. There's, there's quite a lot, and you have to be quite an exceptional individual, individual to to cope with that. But you know, what? if you lose some games at Hoffenheim, there's time to trial and error. Yeah, again, I mean, you, you, yeah. RB Leipzig, there's no big media presence. There's not a, a bunch of ex-players as pundits hammering you if you get things wrong. If you lose a few games at Leipzig, no one really cares. In fact, people are quite happy if that happens. <laughs> if if you lose a few games at Hoffenheim, like literally no one notices. Not not even people in Hoffenheim. Uh, or in Sinsheim, sorry, or whatever you know. Um, <laughs> but it's true. These are clubs who are sort of the sort of hardcore German fans would say that they're constructs, that they're artificial, I mean, whatever you want to call them. They're sort of slightly sterile environments yeah. where you can make mistakes, and there is nowhere near the same amount of pressure. At Bayern Munich, it's like it's a twenty-four-seven thing. Every single decision you make will get poured over by by, by the sporting press. Every point you drop is like a regional catastrophe. Mm. You know, this is next level. So Enough. And he's coming into this, like you say, with a few little unsettled bits and pieces. Uh, maybe mm. one or if he, maybe if they get one or two bad injuries, suddenly you have to use some of these wacky dudes in the squad who maybe shouldn't be there. Like it, it could go wrong. See, arguably, we've talked about the top two in the Bundesliga, which is pertinent because Kurt Baker has sent us a tweet which says, "I'd love to hear an assessment of the." best of the rest clubs in the Bundesliga ahead of the new season. Wolfsburg, for example, Frankfurt, Leverkusen, Union and Gladbach, etc. 
Who are these best of the rest and will they make the top four? I'll tell you what, I'm not back in Wolfsburg to get back there again. Um, they've lost uh, Oliver Glasner, the coach who went to Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, and Mark van Bommel, he's not got them in great shape pre-season. And then they went and eked out a, a difficult win at Preussen Münster in the first round of the DFB Pokal because you always get the first round of the cup the week before the Bundesliga starts, which I love, actually, because A, the Cup's exciting, and B, if you lose to a lower division team, you've got an enormous amount of pressure on you as a coach before the league has actually started, which is is, is quite an interesting dynamic. Now, with Van Bommel, he actually got that win, and then they worked out afterwards that he made too many substitutions. <laughs> <laughs> so he made six instead of five. So they're, they're probably, they're probably going to get knocked out. They're, they're probably going to get um, evicted from the cup, um, so that that would be a pretty awful full debut. Talking of awful full debuts, Glasner, as we said, went to Frankfurt. They uh, lost two uh, 0 at Waldorf Mannheim um, from the third tier. Um, but then again, Adi Hütte, his predecessor at Frankfurt, in his first game, they lost to a fourth tier team when they were the cup holders, mm. and he went on to qualify for the Europa League semi final in the same season. So, so who who knows? Um, but Leverkusen, I, I think, are I think are quite interesting. Um, they've gone a little bit more stable than they 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 might have done. Um, again, because of money, it looked like they were going to sign Sada Asmun from Zenit, but instead they decided to. It would be cheaper to give an extended contract to Lucas Hilario. I, I still think he's a pretty good striker. I don't think the loss of Leon Bailey is going to affect them too badly. The, the Bender twins retiring. I'm interested to see what that does in terms of. Um, team morale and togetherness because they were two great leaders, even though they're both injured quite a lot. Um, Gladbach, I think the pandemic has kind of helped them because if you think they've been able to hang on to Marcus Turam, Florian Neuhaus, mm-hmm. um, Rami Bentabaini, which didn't necessarily look possible. I mean, one of the biggest transfers, last that we've seen this season, in the, this interseason, I should say, in the, in the Bundesliga, close season, is... Andre Silva mm. to Leipzig, and I mean, unfortunately, it looks like your man Alexander yeah, Solot is getting very much writing on the out. wall for him. Yeah, but, uh, but, linked to Marseille now, apparently, which would be interesting. Yeah, interesting I, I, is the word I'm going to, with. Talk, talking of writing being on the wall, <laughs> I think um, the, the Silva thing's interesting though because it's easy for people to forget the only player who scored more Bundesliga goals than him last year, Robert Lewandowski. I mean, he's something that yeah, he's they sco- were he scored more goals than my, my boy Erling Holland. So if you're under a Silva, you must be. Where are all my memes? Like, why <laughs> am I not an internet phenomenon? You need, you need to look more like a Viking and run faster, I guess. But uh, he he was terrific, and and I thought we I thought you gave Leipzig a little bit of a short trift in the sort of title uh, discussion. I think there's between him and and, and, and Danny Olmon, Brian Brobby, there's kind of, kind of interesting stuff going on there. Uh, in terms of the best of the rest, uh, I know they've lost him, but I still think I still think Frankfurt looked like an interesting proposition. Um, bringing in, of course, keeping it Nordic. Uh, they brought in Jesper Lindström from uh, from Brunby, from the Danish champions, from Brunby, a sort of attacking midfield uh, type player. And also, excitingly, Jens Petter Hauge. Well, this is a, a tweet we've got from uh, Stefan Biankowski, actually, ah. saying, uh, why didn't Jens Petter Hauge work out at Milan and mm. how good a signing could he end up being at Frankfurt? So, so Jens Petter Hauge... Um, I thought Milan were always 
an interesting fit for him because it's a classic, it's a tale as old as time. He played very well against them in the Europa League. Some of, some of the directors, I mean, they had been watching him for a while apparently, but it does help to play well against them with all the directors watching. Yeah. Uh, I understand uh, people from the Milan hierarchy were sort of in touch with his agent as the game was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this this guy looks a bit tasty. And, what are you doing at half time? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but I wonder. I'm not entirely sure. Serie A was ever. I mean, the criticism from from uh, the Milan side of thing, and Pioli was apparently a bit frustrated with uh, that he wasn't brilliant off the ball, and that he was a little bit one dimensional. That he was a little bit uh, maybe not tactically savvy enough. Uh, and, and Serie A is not an easy place for a young winger to to, to find find his feet. But I think I think uh, Jens Bartelhauge to me seems to be a little more of a free spirit. You know, he, he's he's speedy. He's he's technical. He's he's someone who enjoys give, being given a bit of freedom and a bit of license and, and I do think the sort of slightly more unhinged football of the Bundesliga might suit him a little bit better I think there may be a few fullbacks in, in Serie A who is like yeah I've seen a dribbly winger before like, I'll just, just make sure my distance is okay and just, just snuff him out uh, and he and he did he's, he's a very he is good on the ball but he does have a little bit of a tendency of running into traffic and he he whenever he came on for Milan he did have a tendency to yeah cut inside and run straight into where there were like three defenders and then not much would happen I, I wonder if in the sort of slightly more attack minded uh, world of the Bundesliga he'll find more space out wide and, and have a better time of it basically One more tweet from Ashley Harrington What team do you think will surprise us this upcoming season and this can be from any country now that we are all reconvening for a new season. You know what? I'm going to have uh, two, I think. I'm just going to uh, take the question. I've only as, got as one, so I'm really nervous. What if you get one of them? <laughs> what, what if one of them's the one I want? You go first then. Yeah? Yeah, yeah go on. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Because I, okay, so my thinking, we were discussing, and we were thinking in the terms of like title races and stuff going on. Mm. This is not a shock. We've touched on it already, but I want to put it into a context, which is there is a bit of a trend, I feel, in, in European football, and especially now coming off talking about the Bundesliga, that the sort of slightly smaller in inverted commas, but more smartly run clubs are kind of stealing a march on some of the traditional heavyweights. You know, it is very pertinent in the Bundesliga where you have like Hamburg and Schalke and Werder Bremen in, in the Zweite Bundesliga this season, where it's much more smaller clubs being in the top division. And you also see some of this in Italy, like Atalanta finishing above uh, Napoli and Roma and Juventus and these people uh, last uh, season. We, we see a bit of that in England with Brentford and Brighton. But, you know, not big clubs, but they've smarted their way up to the top. So there seems to be a thing where um, clubs that are smartly run profit uh, and, and get ahead of the sort of lumbering big institutions who are carrying, you know, possibly some dead weight and some institutional mm. issues. I wonder if, following that logic, if we're going to see a real title push from Sevilla in, in Spain this season uh, at, at the cost of, uh, of Real Madrid and, and Barcelona, because they do seem to be one of the clubs who have very sort of joined up thinking in that division. Uh, Monchi, um, if you ask Roma fans, he's not half as smart as he thinks he is. 
is, but he does seem to work very well in that context anyway, and and operates very smartly. And I, I they've put together a team where I can see if things go their way a little bit. And again, we we, we get the sort of the endearing spectacle of Ocampos and and Lamela sort of you know merrily kicking people in the shin wherever they go. Maybe there's a place for Papu Gomez in the team that makes more sense. I I, I can imagine a sort of a, a serious title push from Sevilla this season. I like it, and I like their strip this season. <laughs> but um, my two are going to be initially uh, Bijiktas. I think they can follow up and win the title again in Turkey, and maybe they can do something in Europe as well. They've held on to a, a lot of their quality. I think Sergin Yalchin is a is a good coach, and they've also signed Alec Teixeira after he left um, mm. he, he left the Chinese Super League. So I, th- I think that's that's an interesting bit of quality that they wouldn't normally be able to get their hands on. Other team, I think PSV in the Netherlands could provide a bit of a shock, really with the Champions League money and the sales of um, Van der Beek and De Jong and De Ligt that they made. Ajax should be winning the title for the next 10 years in a row. But um, they did lose um, the Super Cup, the Johan Kraufschall, um, 4-0 Ajax to PSV. They have looked brilliant in pre-season. So is the young uh, Englishman Noni Modueke. Um, Mario Goetze was another who got a hat tip from uh, Hansi Flick in his first Germany press conference. Uh, I think Roger Schmidt is on the way back. Yes, yes. The, 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 the Mario Goetze, the Roger Schmidt, Mario Goetze. Noni Modueke, by the way, making one of our famous on the continent shouts, some English club will pay at least 40 million for him next summer. <laughs> It's at time, uh, for the first time this season anyway, uh, that we ask you both to recommend a game of the week. I know not all the leagues have started yet, but nevertheless, you've got one each for us, have you? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Sunday afternoon, Atletico, um, seeking to show their champions' credentials, but a very, very difficult opening game away at Celta. Balaidos with fans, I think it's going to be big. It's going to be a really interesting game, and they've had their difficulties there in recent seasons. I'm going to the Bundesliga because, uh, you know, it's just fun, fun, fun on the Autobahn, as we all know. Um, uh, I, I Dortmund versus Frankfurt for me. Uh, Frankfurt, one of the more interesting teams of the sort of best of the rest group, I think. Um, Dortmund, as we've discussed, hopefully can challenge uh, Bayern. And the downsides of Dortmund is stuff like, you know, they might play Emre Can at Zenerav. That should just make the game more fun from a neutral's <laughs> point of view. I mean, that, come on, that, that should, be, should be good. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creative Network.